I want to take a, a text out of the book of Philippians in the second chapter, the 19th verse. I, I haven't really, I mean, we, we read the second chapter a lot. There is some fantastic doctrine in this chapter. And we go over that, you know, from about the fifth verse down to the 11th. But I want to look at a few other things that are in this chapter this morning that I believe that the Lord just laid on my heart to share and preach this to you this morning. So if you read with me in the 19th verse, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be of good cheer knowing the things about you. For I have no one like-minded who genuinely will care for the things about you. Listen to this verse. For all seek their own things and not the things of Christ Jesus. When I read that, it just really started to bear into my heart. So we want to talk about like-mindedness a little bit this morning, and hopefully it'll, it'll stir something in you, challenge you, touch you. The Word of God has a way to do that. The Word of God penetrates our heart. That's what the Scripture says, that it, uh, it actually can divide within us the soul and the spirit, and the, even the bones and the marrow. But it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. And everyone here sitting here this morning has some thoughts and some intents in your heart. And so the Word of God can go to that and touch that and minister to that. And so that's what we believe this morning. Jesus, we ask you, Lord, that you would just anoint your Word. We pray for an elevated, an elevated Word of God this morning, an elevated discourse. Not something that we'll just hear casually, but that your Word will bring to us, that we'll understand, that we'll take it to heart, we'll grow in it. Lord, and, and I pray that everyone here today will just open their heart to let the Word of God encourage them and touch them. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I think if we're going to talk about like-mindedness, which is the word that's used, Paul uses there, I'm not sure what it uh, is in the uh, King James Version and English versions, but like-mindedness. If we're going to talk about like-mindedness, we've got to talk about individualism. Individualism has been an enormous pitfall in the kingdom of God. What individualism is, is it's about me. And the gospel that's going out in, in most places, and what I hear and what I hear on television and, and just reports of different things about churches, there's... There's a message that's sent is that this is really about you as an individual. It's, it's about your wants, your desires, your needs, and everything about you God is so concerned with. Um, there's a song that Collinsworth family sings that, that Rachel wrote. It says, if it matters to you, it matters to the master." I don't believe that. I just don't believe it. It sounds good. 
But there's some things that matter to me, and I don't think it matters to him. I don't think he cares what kind of bread I eat. I don't think he cares what kind of boots I wear this morning. He just it, it might matter to me, but it doesn't matter to him. But this individualism, this thing about going to church and getting... Now, years ago, they used to say it this way, go get your stuff. And, and I come to get my stuff. Well, you don't have any stuff here to get. The devil, you know, I'm going to take back everything and, and I come to get it. That's all about individualism. Individualism makes you feel like the kingdom of God is about you. Makes you feel like that you are the center of your world and that everything around you evolves around you. It's, it's a problem not just in the church, it's a problem in our culture. I mean, it's so easy for this culture to teach our kids, the world preaches it to them, be your own person, you think the way you think, don't care what mom and dad did, don't care what anybody else thinks, don't care what is common thinking, you need to think how you think, be different than the norm, and we'll respect you for it. The weirder you are, the more respect we have for you. The stranger you are, the braver you are. Be abnormal. It's better to be abnormal than to just fall in and go down the stream with everybody else. Well, there may be something to that. You do need to have some gumption about yourself. But in the kingdom of God, individualism has destroyed the effort of the church, especially, I would say, you know, around us, we don't know everywhere. We just know California, and now we're beginning to know Oklahoma. But what is preached and what is taught and what ministers do, and it comes from the top. It starts with the minister. It's about him. It's about his desires, about what he wants to do. And all the focus becomes about us individually. I think it's happened in the church as a whole. It's happened to us as churches. We have become individual churches, and God's breaking this down. And I believe he's going to use us as a sledgehammer. Say amen. I believe God's using us to break down some of this, that churches are not individuals. God has one church. He doesn't have 50 jillion dozen different churches. He just has one people, and those are the people that love him and follow him, and those that obey him, those, I want to couple up with people that love Jesus. I'm not looking at a sign over a door somewhere. I'm looking at people who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in this day, as individualism is just flying in our face, there's something else that needs to happen in our life. It's called like-mindedness. Can you say amen? Wide open in the emerging church. I heard this term again the other day. We heard it used a lot a few years ago, and, and it's now, is, it's, it's, it's the norm now. The emerging church. But what really is emerging from the emerging movement is crowds of undisciplined reprobates to the kingdom. They're thinking their way. They're believing their gospel. It's, it's not based in the word of God. It's not based in Christ. They've emerged out of this idea. And one of the things that I that I, I realized about the emerging movement was 
that anything that's been established, we don't want anything to do with that. We don't want anything to do with, with what elders did, what the founding fathers did. We don't want, we're emerging and we're coming out a new apostolic age. I don't want new apostles. I've got them in the scripture already. And I've got them there, Matthew and, and Mark and Luke and John. And I've got the writings of the apostles. I've got Paul's writings. I don't need an emerging new apostolic movement because it's going to emerge me away from the foundation of Christ and lead us not to like-mindedness, but rather, again, to individualism. I don't know if you realize this, but the Lord never taught. The apostles never taught believers to think individually on spiritual matters. Now, I do want to say at your home, there's some things that you're going to need to decide. Everybody's not the same. We don't have, you know, we, we don't print out a syllabus and hand it to you and say, this is how to run your home. You're going to need to do that. You're going to need to make decisions. You're going to need to, to think and, and, and reason and and those with, with new children, never been parents before, well, there's not a handbook. No, there is some, but I hate them. One of them was written by a guy that travels all over the world preaching about how to raise children. He's never been married, never had children. I really don't want to hear what he has to say. I want to hear what somebody who is raising two, three, four, five children, I want to hear what they've got to say. But there's not a handbook that we can hand out to you and, and then you just fall into that line. There's decisions you're going to make. You're going to have to think. You're going to have to reason. But I want to talk about spiritual things this morning because God never told us to think on our own and vent our own way and our own thoughts and follow our own directions and our own feelings and our own desires. He never taught us that way because he gave us already. He gave us... He gave us the printout of his will for the church, and for the body of Christ. Verse 2 in, in Philippians, same chapter, verse 2 says, That you think the same, having the same love, together in soul, in thinking. And then verse 5 says this, For let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And again, I, I just want to stop right there, but talking about the mind of Christ, and then Paul said later, we have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. Of course, the expansion of that word, let this mind, it really has to do with opinions. It has to do with thinking in the church. And of course, again, we're talking about the church. Paul's writing to the church. He's teaching them as a church body. It's let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. And what he's been talking about is that you think the same thing. You have the same love. And this mind that was in Christ, really, if we, we follow down the rest of the Scripture, this is the mind that caused him to humble himself and caused him to take on the cross and to die and to become that Lord Savior of all. And, and if we have that mind, then it draws us together into this one thought, and that thought is concerning Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is a collective of people who love Jesus. Can you say amen? His likes and his dislikes 
is what counts, not ours. That's why when we, as a, as a church body, uh, we, could, we could hold church uh, uh, meeting this morning and and we could go to voting. Man, we could we could vote on this. We could vote on that. We could, but we're always going to end up with varied opinions. Some people are going to be mad because we didn't do it that way, and we did it another way. And that's all opinions that we have, and our likes and dislikes. They seem so important in the kingdom of God, and they're really not. There is just one thing that is important in the kingdom of God, and that's what He wants. That's what He desires for the kingdom. And our mind has to morph into that. We have to be able to say, Lord, your will and not mine. So this is the reason I believe that God set up his ministers to guide congregations. And to guide them into solidarity, not into individualism. And so what we preach here and what I believe and what I've preached all for 20 almost 30 years in this church is that when we come together as a body and we agree together members of the same body and there may be some difference in thought there might be some things that that somebody doesn't exactly see but but we give up our right to the bigger we we keep the unity of the faith we keep the oneness of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that word bond there, um, sundimas, means to bind together closely so that our efforts are not individual efforts. And our efforts aren't to just put each other on pedestals, put a pastor on a pedestal and other ministers on pedestals. No, our efforts here are to the greater cause, and the greater cause is the kingdom of God. And the church will go on in the kingdom of God if we all put aside our little individual wants and desires and say, Lord, your will, your way, your guide be done in this house. Amen. So I want to look at Acts, first chapter, or second chapter, rather, and the first verse. And I have been in church long enough to hear this uh, taught a lot is that if you and I can get together in one mind in one accord that we can basically repeat the day of Pentecost the outpouring of the spirit of the Lord in one mind and in one accord I've never really seen that happen if we get in one mind, that means we're all same, thinking the same thing. I've, I've never seen that happen yet. And one accord is that we don't have any differences, and I've never seen that happen. But, but really, the word that's used here isn't a word that means that you identically think the same or have the same accord on every issue. That isn't what this word is. This, this word is homothumadon. Thumadon, thumados, you know, is, is about desire, and uh, homo being the same desire. Okay, if we look at the day of Pentecost, they didn't Peter get up and say, now everybody, mm, let's think on the same thing now. Get your mind set. No, they had a desire in their heart, and the desire in their heart superseded everything else that was going on in that day. They stayed there because they had this burning desire and each one of them had the same desire. And that desire was, we want to see the Lord again. 
They didn't know how. They didn't know what. It was just Jesus who said, go and wait there. And, and, and in the first chapter, he said, you just go and you, we call it tarry there. They are waiting there for the promise of the Father which you heard of me. And I'm going to take that as meaning the promise is not a promise about something else. The promise is a promise about him showing up to the church. They're going to be birthed that day. The church is going to begin that day. And guess who's going to be there? The head of the church is going to show up to birth the church. Paul and Colossians talked about, some months ago I talked about the head of the church. I don't think anybody would establish the church other than the head of the church. And so their desire is to be in that one place. And they got there. But their desire also is that the Lord Jesus Christ would somehow, they don't know how, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know that they're going to be filled with the Spirit. They don't know that there is a baptism coming in their life that they've never experienced before. They don't have any way to know that except the Lord said, go and wait until the, the Holy Spirit of God empowers you from on high. And that's what they are waiting. They're waiting, they're waiting. And when the day of Pentecost has fully come, they are in one place with one same desire. And so I want to look at this term like-minded in another way. I think if we come in the house of God and we come in with one single desire, each one here, each one here, comes in with a desire. And what is that desire? What, what would that desire be? I think that would desire is what we, what we sing about. My desire is to see him. This is what David said. I come to see the beauty of the Lord in his house. We did come to visit. We did come to celebrate each other. But we come to see my heart's desire to come to church has got to be, Lord, I'm coming to see you. And if we can get in that one mind and one accord that really is just this this singleness of desire to see the Lord, then the worship songs aren't songs anymore. They're not just words that we're reading up on the wall. They really mean to us that we are worshiping our Lord and our Savior in this house. It really means that, that it's effective. It is, it is something we believe. It's something I'm not just saying, but Lord, you are great. God, you are mighty. Lord, we adore you, mighty Lord. And, and it becomes real in my life when I have that, that single, same desire. And when all the people with the same desire begin to worship, it's a glorious time in the house of the Lord. I've seen church folks get together on the same page. And that's not what we're after. You can get together on the same page and the Holy Spirit of God has not moved you or guided you or blessed you in any way. You're just seeing things the same. And we said we got in one mind this morning. We all had one purpose. Now, I know a man who decided to ramp up his church. Most of you know him. In fact, he has spoke for us. And this man got an idea, and he got a purpose. 
And his purpose was he got political in the church and started talk, talking uh, last election how Trump would be, would, would, would be voted in. And if he wasn't voted in, then, then he would quit preaching and go do something else. And, and so Trump was not voted in, but he kept on preaching. And the crowd kept increasing. And, and now he's up two, three, four, five hundred. And now he's online and people are watching. He got, he got people to focus in on something that was not central in the church in the house of God. And that was prophetic. God is not centering his church on the prophetic. He is centering his church on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about the church is about him. And so if we get a heart, we get a desire, and we come together with a like mind, it's going to be that Jesus is Lord of the house. So on the day of Pentecost, they did get their hearts together. They did have one single desire. They quit voting. Well, they did some voting. They call it casting lots. I'm often wondered about that. The scripture really doesn't, there's, there's no defined way that they cast the lots. But I think it was dice. Well, Matthias, how did you get to be an apostle? Well, they cast dice over me. So I'm a, that's about what's going on now. That's the vote to me. We're voting in apostles. We're voting in bishops. We're voting in... No, God doesn't do that. And so they got all done with that, and they quit trying to position themselves, and I know they were doing that too. Um, they quit trying to, to get their individual wants taken care of. Well, you know, when this thing happens, my wants and my desires, no, they get rid of that. And then finally, they get to the place where they realize that the Lord has left in the flesh. We're not seeing him anymore. He went to the cross, and we saw him there, and they put him in the tomb, and, and he arose out of there. We've got many witnesses, 500 at one time. And Peter saw him. Peter, you saw him, remember? And, and the disciples, he came into the room while you were there. Eleven of you, you saw him. And so we know that he has risen from the dead. He is gone, but we're waiting for the promise of his return. Many, many years ago, I had never heard it before. I heard Mark Hamby said, we're all preaching about rapture. Hey, somebody said the Lord was coming back on, what day was it, the 14th? September 15th. Man, that's a good one. September 15th, I don't know how they got that. Oh, Feast of the Trumpets. Got somebody, well, there's a Feast of the Trumpets every year. So, anyway, if, if somebody wants to, it's like the, in 1988, a lot of you don't remember that time. But in 1988, there was 88 reasons why the Lord was coming back in 1988. And he wrote a book. And they sold the book. Why would you sell a book and you're not even going to be here? But they sold the book. The lady stood there in Kay's store at the time. She had a little store in, in Cottonwood. And, and she said the Lord's coming back. I think it was September it was the 20th or something. And. And I told her, I looked her in the face, and I said, on the 21st, you come back in here. She said, I won't. I won't be here. The rapture is going to take. I said, oh, no, you come back on the 21st. 
because the foolishness that we're centralizing the church on, you know the day or the hour, there will come an end. There will come a close to time. There will come a catching away. I just don't know when that's going to be. It seems like that it's closer now than when I was a kid. It seems like that the Lord is is getting done with this mess that's going on in the earth. But but I don't know that for sure. I can't tell you that on September 15th the Lord is coming. But Mark Hamby said it this way. We've been preaching about the Lord coming back, the Lord coming back, when really we've been missing Him in the church. He wants to come back every service that we have. And we're waiting for this time of rapture and the Lord saying, no, I want to come back in the house and be with my people. And so this is exactly what the Lord did on the day of Pentecost. And they were all filled of the Holy Spirit. Let me extend this a little bit for you. The Holy Panuma. The Holy Breath of God. The same Lord that breathed on the eleven is the same Lord that breathed in the upper room. John baptized you. Well, but I've got something else for you. I have the very breath of God breathed into the church. And the church rose from a dormant body to a life in Jesus Christ. Now, everything then was like-minded. Read the book of Acts. All the things that happened. The establishing of the church. The apostles and their ministry. Everybody was like-minded because they hadn't got away from that yet. But we're now 2,000 years later. And so we are preaching... Real men of God, real preachers of God are preaching, let's get back to where we started from. Let's get back to some like-mindedness. Let's get back to a single desire, and that desire be the Lord Jesus Christ in our church and in our life. The apostle writes in Philippians here, it's, it's a sad thing to me, but he writes something that, that kind of, I, I think it, it spells out our time. And the apostles said this way, that after we're gone, that wolves will be coming in and preaching other doctrines and other things. And so they warded off the wolves as long as they could. They warded off false doctrine. But then when they began to pass, and, and, and this is what bothered me, he said, for I have no one like-minded. I, I don't... I've preached this gospel I have. Raised up some men. Taught them the way of the Lord, but I just have one guy that's like-minded. Timothy. He said, but I can't spare him. I need him, but... I'm going to send him to you because you need him more than I need him. 
And this man, Timothy, he will genuinely care for the things of God. I'm sick of preachers that don't care for the things of God. Oh, there's a lot of reasons to preach. There's a lot of reasons to be a pastor. But Paul spelled it out right. He said, preachers seeking their own things and not the things of Christ Jesus. I think it's rare to find a man who is genuinely cares about God's things. I think it's rare. And getting rarer. Most preachers, I hate to say it this way, but Paul said it, most preachers have false motives to preach the gospel. Because there is no like-mindedness about this, I'm an individualist, and and I'm going to do what's right for me, and I'm going to go where it pays the most. We're going to start right there. It's because most preachers are about money. Charlatans, Scripture calls them. Greedy charlatans. They're looking to get ahead in life and have found a niche to do it. And it's called to preach to people. I like what 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 Paul said in in Titus, the the uh, translation that's given in the King James version. It calls money and preaching together. It calls it filthy lucre. Filthy lucre. I mean, that's like not something good, right? Nobody's like, what's lucre? Well, it's, it's old English, you know. It's, it's the cause of which they're, they're preaching. And, and Paul is just fed up with it because it's happening in his day. He's raised men to keep the central thing in the church, and now they have their own interest, and the own interest of most preachers going all the way back there is money. And so I'm going to preach to our preachers and someday, if the Lord tarries, I'm going to be the one looking at this, this scripture myself and saying, I've got to hand it to men who are like-minded. And when I'm done carrying the mic, and when, when, when I'm, I'm, I'm retired and, and, and resting, when I've done, like my Uncle Skip, who now has had to go to retirement, He's done. I want to be able to hand that off and say, I've got some men that are like-minded. Got some men in this church who who aren't going to waver, but they are they're not going to do it for money. They're not going to do it for B power over people. Manipulation. I've seen it all my life. Manipulate crowds, and really it all goes back to money. And, and, and money is the root of all evil in the church. If I can manipulate people to do as I want them to do and act as I want them to act, and, and really there's no heartfelt, there's no, no same desire, no monothunius, no, no desire down in our heart that we're going to stay on the same path and the same page. And then C for position. 
So many men love position. Jesus said it. They love to be honored. They love to see people see them in the street. Kay said to me the other day, you don't ever, when you go into the stores and you go into places, you don't tell them you're a pastor. I said, no, I don't. And my reason is, is not that I'm ashamed of the gospel. I'm ashamed of pastors. I went to a job where I told, I made the mistake, this contractor builder, and I was going to frame for him. I made the mistake of telling him I was a Christian. That didn't impress him. He said the last guy that worked for me was a Christian too. And he was pilfering my jobs. Stealing his material. So I don't go around with that waving a flag. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. In fact, somebody said, are are you an emergency, what do they call it? First responder. Thank you, Kay. You're about as good as me. A first responder. And Kay said, he is a first responder. He's a pastor. He said, we're going to give you a discount. I said, okay, give me a discount. Good. But we're not doing this thing for position. If we have to wear that on our sleeve, I'm a pastor and walking around so that people will, will honor me. No, you should be honored because you are the man that you are. Because you are a right man and a righteous man and a good man and you have a heart towards God. That's why you should be honored. Not because you're in a place of position. Say amen. I think we all agree with that. And then finally, I just throw in here is that some people are too lazy to work a job. I got an amen right there. Some folks are too lazy to work a job. Don't want to get their hands dirty. And so they opt for the clean job. Well, you can either work with the clean job, the homosexuals in the restaurants, or you could be a pastor. All about the same to me, a bunch of softies. I wouldn't listen to a man that won't get his hands dirty. Come on, say amen. I wouldn't listen to a man who who wouldn't Show other men what it is to be a man. We don't need any more soft men in the kingdom. Amen? I, I, you know, we changed a little bit. Just wandering. I'm wandering for a minute. But we changed a little bit when we got to Oklahoma. And, and I said, that's it. I'm not wearing suits no more. I'm wearing cowboy pants. And Kay was like, huh? I like suits. I said, well, you wear them. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of the little softy preachers. Tired of them. Tired of them. We need some men now to take the place in the pulpit so they can lead people to some solidarity in Christ so that young men have something to look at that doesn't look like, again, homosexuals in the pulpit. We don't need that example. What we need is some men to stand up here and say, you be men out there in the world. You, you toughen up. You bunch of softies. Christ is not looking for men who are soft. He's looking for fishermen. And he is looking for, for men who will challenge the system even though they were wrong. Canaanites are, or what's it going? Huh? Zealots for the Lord. And, and z- people that 
that will put their back into the thing and work hard and, and be a warrior for Jesus Christ. It's the kind of folks that he's looking for. Can you say amen? So Paul says, I have no one who is like-minded. The, the, the Greek word here is isosudicon. Isosudicon, which just basically means equal soul. Equal soul. So, you're not saying things just to sound like somebody, but it's in your spirit. There's something about a person with this this equal soul thing. You know it when you hear it. You know it when you hear, it. and you know it when you when you hear it the other way. You also know that that they're just saying things. They don't really believe that. But I like it when I hear someone who has taught and preached the gospel right and then someone come up behind them and they're saying the same, same thing. It sounds just like the other guy. So when you hear Joshua, really if you listen real hard, you're hearing Moses. When you hear Elijah speak, if you discern just a little bit, you're going to hear Elijah there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you hear the apostles, you're going to hear the Lord Jesus Christ speaking there. In fact, the scripture records that they took note, these men have been with Jesus. They sound just like he sounded. When you happen to read Mark's gospel, it's not just Mark speaking to you. Mark was with Peter, and that's where he got his gospel from, because Peter was there. And when you hear Polycarp, I don't know if you've read him and read his works. But you don't just hear Polycarp because he was a pupil of John. John, the great revelator of the Logos of God. He was a, Polycarp was his pupil. So when you hear Polycarp speak, you don't just hear him. You hear John coming out. When you hear Luke give his gospel, it's not... In fact, Luke wasn't even there. And he will tell you in the first few verses of the book of Luke that I studied this and that I went to the apostles and I heard those that were there and I recorded this thing, so Theophilus, so that you would know what is a true, exact record of what happened. And so you're not just hearing Luke, you're hearing the men that poured into Luke. I would like to hear Timothy preach. Timothy was still a young man when, when Paul was yet alive. Because he wrote back to Timothy, he said, don't let him despise your youth. You know what you've been taught. Just this, this thought of Timothy being the one who steps up and says, no, I'm going to carry on where my mentor was. 
my mentor was Paul, and he taught me the things of God, and, and he taught me the revelation of Christ, and, and Paul said, I didn't get it from anyone else, the Lord revealed himself to me, and even though he talked with the other apostles and visited and spent time with them, but yet now this, this man Timothy is something about him that rings true, it's going to be the same gospel, it's going to be the same revelation that Paul has, Timothy's got it, and Timothy is going to speak in the shoes of Paul. And so when you send Timothy, you have sent Paul. Because all of these are resounding equal, equal felt values, equal desire and heart as their mentor and their rabbi. We have a first-hand witness, and, and I've got, for time, I, I just won't read it, I guess, but do we need to re- read First John, the first chapter, and first few verses? That which we heard, that which we saw, that which our hands touched and handled. The word of life. This is what I'm writing to you. And, and if you look at these first four verses, you're going to see the solidarity of one thing. And that is the fellowship in Jesus Christ. That's why we have recorded and reported to you that which we saw, that which we heard, that which we felt. And we're reporting to you that there is fellowship there. The church is opting for a different kind of fellowship. It's the fellowship of the individual. That's why when somebody comes in and James warned about this, you have somebody come into the church and and they look, they're in fine clothes and looking good, you give them the good seat. You tell somebody who's sitting there, no, you go sit in the back. Because we have respect of person, right? That's what we do. That's what we're doing in the church. We're respecting people. And so, therefore, we're not going to say anything that is going to offend anybody. You can come in our church. We are a non-offensive church. That's not here. Come in here. There's a good chance you're going to be offended. But when you go to hear Jesus, there's a good chance you're going to be offended by him. The disciples said, Lord, don't you know that you are offending people? But those same ones that he offended, I believe after the day of Pentecost, found their way back to the church. Because they heard the truth, and the truth will set you free every time. Amen. And so, John writes this, that we may be, and and I think we can use that same term, like-minded. This holy book is written for us, that we can be like-minded. I think the purpose of the scripture is for us to become like-minded with our great rabbi, Yeshua Jesus, that we see like he sees, that we see the important things he sees. Some things in the church are so peripheral, we don't need them. It's not that big of a deal. I'll tell you what is a big deal, is seeing what Jesus sees. When we see what Jesus sees, 
we instinctively, I wrote that word down there, see it, see it right there. Instinctively, that's not something I use all the time. But becoming like-minded with Jesus, we will instinctively lay down our own individual spiritual aspirations. Jesus did it to them and they didn't like it. Lord, we want to be great in the kingdom. Can we, can we be great in the kingdom? He said, oh, you want to be great, huh? I'll tell you how to be great. Become a servant to everybody. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. When we learn, first of all, to be like-minded with Christ, then we become like-minded with His kingdom, with His church, with His people. Amen. We commit to it. Thank you, Lord. Jesus said something that was interesting. I'm going to close right here for all of you that are keeping time. This is beautiful. We've got a new TV on the back. It shows the words, but it also tells me the time. That's great. My enemy. Uh Put some black tape over it or something. When Jesus said, pray the Lord, remember he said, look at the harvest. The harvest is ripe unto unto harvest. The fields are ripe in the harvest. And then he turns and says to them, pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. Need some prayer on that. There's been a lot of workers gone into the field that we didn't pray about. And that they didn't pray about. Let me tell you this. You want to work for the Lord? You are not going in His field unless you are like-minded with Him. You might go in a field. You might be out there picking some ears of, of wheat and whatever. You might be doing your own thing. But, but you're not harvesting for Him unless you are like-minded with Him. Feel the same passion that He feels. Love the things that He loves and hate the things that He hates. That's the kind of people that He's going to send into His harvest. And I pray that that happens in this church. Lord, send Timothy's. Not that mimic me. No, but have that heart desire to be like-minded with Jesus, to be like-minded with the body of Christ. God, send us. Send us in your field. So I'm going to just stop with this question right here. Do you have the same equal passion and desire as Christ has? And I'm going to answer that question. The answer is no. But we're working on it. I mean, he had total focus. We don't have total focus. We don't have total single-mindedness. We don't have total single passion desire. Lord, help us to get there. Can you say amen? And so let the Lord work on your heart in it. Let's bow our heads to the Lord. Jesus, we just, I'll just preach what you gave me today. As a blessing, Lord, to store hearts, to store people, Lord, to come in alignment with you, Lord, to like-mindedness of you. When that happens,
they are going to align perfectly with the kingdom of God also. So, Lord, we just pray that you would establish every heart. God, establish young men and women in this. We've got young men coming up. Lord, we've got teenagers that are developing into now they're becoming men. And we got men who are becoming family men. And, Lord, we just pray, God, that in all of this they will remember. Lord, they will remember to be like-minded with you and the body of Christ. Pray it in your name, Jesus. Everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You're dismissed.